The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Are we ready for Sunak's bitter pill? Whilst all eyes seem to be on Suella Braverman's inbox and who's coming across the English Channel in boats, we can assume that in number 11, Jeremy Hunt is beavering away working on his autumn budget. But how's he going to plug the supposed £35 billion black hole? And can he do it whilst hanging on to the triple lock guarantee on pensions? Well, Rishi Sunak has already said that his government will return the manifesto promises before the 2019 election. Fortunately for him, that manifesto did include promises about keeping spending under control whilst unleashing Britain's potential having got Brexit done. Yes, after Brexit, the economy should be booming now, surely awash with cash that previously was sent to Brussels. But instead, we seem to be preparing ourselves for austerity 2.0. So what exactly will Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak present on the 17th of November? Now Boris is gone, do we get to see the real Rishi? But how much leeway do they have when Kwasi Kwarteng managed to send the bond markets into a frenzy with his spending plans. Can the dynamic duo of number 10 and 11 Downing Street deliver something that will keep voters happy, financial markets satisfied, old people warm and the less well-off away from food banks? It sounds like it'll be an economic miracle if they do it. So, can they put all that out of the hat? That's today. The Y Curve well, Roger, let me give you a, a quick snapshot of where we are quick. right now. From you? <laughs> no, well, okay, a moderately quick uh, snapshot. Where we are right now, this yeah. is what they, can, they, they have to try and uh, solve, really, in this mm. budget. We've got inflation running at 10.1%. Retail prices actually growing at 12.6%. Food prices actually over 15%. The UK government gross debt was £2.4 trillion last June, which uh, is the equivalent to 102% of gross domestic product. That's how much has been racked up in total and supposedly has to be paid back. Yeah, but if you look at... The, I mean, let's let's balance it a little here. I mean, let's mm. face it. Actually, the, the difficulty, the, the, the cost of government borrowing has come down because people are... Well, they seem to be a little more happy with the Rishi Sunak well, and still, Jeremy Hunt. still higher than it was. It's certainly higher than it was, but yeah. it's gone back quite a bit. So that's good. Yeah. We know that actually gas prices have been coming down. I mean, yeah. things are changing slightly. Uh, yeah, there's a hiccup in food prices with uh, Putin uh, stymieing the deal of, of getting the grain out of Ukrainian ports. I tell you a point. I mean, there is a danger, isn't it? Yeah. They'll look at those because also the deficit in Q2 uh, this year, how much was borrowed in that period was £43.9 billion, which is 7.2% of GDP. That's how much was added to the uh, to the total debt figure. But that's coming down yeah. as well. So there is a danger, isn't it, that they react to how things are now, not how they will be, and perhaps over And, and, and debt is a proportion of GDP. In terms of G7, we're not bad, actually, no. are we? No, we're not. Yeah. So, so, I mean, yeah, there, at, there is, maybe France, there's a temptation. France, for example. I mean, you don't yeah. even have to look at Greece. Look at France, yeah. which is a lot higher. And Canada yeah. Yeah. is a lot higher. Than oh, yeah. So I, I think, you know, there's a temptation here to go, oh, it's all disaster. We must tax and tax and tax. But actually, there are options. There are ways of looking at this that say, well, I mean, let's not go back to trustonomics. But actually, if you tax people less, maybe things might get a little better. You know, there is that element. Of it. Yeah, there is. But it's still high. That's the thing. But we've been through COVID. I mean, and there's got to be that realistic assessment of, you know, what that's done everywhere. So our debt is 102 government debt, 102% of GDP. Before the pandemic, it was 85% of GDP. So we really were tracking quite low comparatively with the rest of the world then. We've sort of, the gap has narrowed quite a bit because we have spent so much. But we've been through a lot. The question is, 
so what? I mean, no one actually knows. If you just said, well, okay, we'll just stick at 102. We, we know, you know, if you, if you get up to 300%, then you get real problems with yeah. well, runaway inflation. Yeah, Argentina, basically. Basically. But 102, 110, 150, <laughs> well, exactly. actually, does it really matter? Exactly. And that is the point, I think, because also, in the end, the only way to get rid of that, and again, you know, let's not go back to Kwasi Kwarteng and, and Liz Truss, but actually growth helps uh, get that down because, you know, the higher take from a higher GDP in the first place. So there's all those kind of elements in it that have to be thought about. And, of course, they are. I mean, you know, they're Tories for heaven's sakes. They don't want to tax more than they can avoid. Mm. Or, and, and they're being but it sounds like they will. I mean, they well, are. We've already got, you know, this week news that there will be tax increases for everybody. That's already been sort yeah. of leaked out of number 10 or, or, or number 11. Yeah, but so people we, think it should go, I mean, you know, look at look at BP's figures. I mean, look, look at their profits. I mean, staggering amounts of money. Mm. Go to the people who have, not the people who don't. So take, you know, the, the bigger the bigger windfall tax. It's too late for that now. And all the oil companies are busy uh, buying back, you know, now yeah. because it's because we haven't given them a windfall tax, they're going. Well, well we have to, given us kind of windfall I know, tax, but and we're going to give more. I reckon there's going to be more. Up, uh, that'll be that'll be, be on the list somewhere for be, sure. Doesn't that? Yeah. Well, we're going to find out, aren't we? From we, someone we, yeah. who knows. Well, let's talk to Vicky Price. She's chief economic advisor at the Centre for Economics and Business Research, and uh, a former joint head of the UK Government Economics Service. So, Vicky, I noticed uh, we've just been talking about you know what the, what was promised in the manifesto back in 2019, uh, amongst all their bold spending promises, and there were a couple of caveats. One was that public sector net investment will not average more than 3%. That's the budget deficit, in other words. It's not going to be more than 3%. It's over 7% right now. So that's one commitment broken. And the other one, if debt reaches 6% of revenue then they will reassess their plans uh, to keep the debt under control. Now, I'm sort of assuming that they are, they are going to be well over that by now. So there's a couple of excuses there, isn't there? We can ignore all the other promises in the manifesto because of those two factors, which were written in black and white back in 2019. If you mean excuses to cut back, yes. Uh, then yes, there are loads and loads of excuses to cut back. But uh, the main one, of course, they're going to be using is that they had to do that uh, in order to, or they have to have, uh, cuts uh, in order to satisfy the markets so they have a sensible plan ahead. But frankly, I don't think anyone will be looking at those details uh, in terms of the manifesto. The main ones, of course, that people will bear in mind is the, the, the promise not to increase income tax, national insurance contributions, for example, uh, which, of course, has been already, uh, you know, gone back on because national insurance contributions did get increased by Rishi Sunak himself. Um, in order to finance the National Health Service. Uh, of course, some of that has been reversed, but uh, people seem to forget that you know, he may be saying, Rishi Sunak, that he's going back to that manifesto, but quite a lot of that has already been thrown out of the window. Yeah, I think politi and politically, in a way, the manifesto almost, I mean, a lot of play was made with it during all the various prime ministers we've we've had, but, but the sense that this is a long way away from that and so much has changed, we just need to get... Economic stability. I, I'm, I'm curious why, because the only reason I, I brought that up was because Rishi made the point that we are going back to the 2019 manifesto. It, it's we, politics. We was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, so, of course, politics, but look at the pension triple lock. I mean, that was already affected by uh, what happened during COVID. So we didn't get the increase in line with average earnings last year. So, and this year, there is a lot of talk about just raising them um, in line with earnings, which will save about five billion next year. Mm. So, so a lot of it is actually thrown out of the window, mm. frankly. And, uh, you know, the government can choose to keep the ones that they really want to use as an excuse. And yes, indeed, capital spending is an interesting one, uh, because they can uh, cut back the, the, those spending plans to just 2% of national income. And if that were to happen, then you can raise about 14 billion a year. Uh, 
Mm. And that, of course, would affect growth in the longer term. So those are all issues which will matter. But, of course, it will matter for a different um, government possibly and yeah. those impacts are not going to be felt until after the next election well it's always the the way isn't it short-term gain for long-term pain so i mean when you when you talk about you know paying less in pensions for example or, or less in in welfare if people aren't keeping up with earnings or inflation and they're not doing you, know, you do that once then they're behind and then if you do it again they're even more behind so the rich poor gap every time you do it just gets wider but the poor number gets larger which means in a sense the money going being spent the uh, push that's going into the economy is less as well so you're shooting yourself in the foot mm. absolutely but there are all sorts of ways of course in which they are raising extra money and i think we need to bear that in mind so when we're looking at the whole how big is the whole there is a question mark as, as to how much is needed or whether you one is doing it in order to keep something in reserve so you can reduce taxes near an election how, because how big we a have, hole do you think there is vicky well, people are talking about 40 to 50, but that was the, more or less the figure that was being talked about at the time of the uh, the mini budget itself. Mm. So it seems to have it's suddenly 40 to 50 become billion rather... pounds, we should just specify. Yes, yes, I'm very sorry, pounds, yes. But billions um, is the point, I suppose. I mean, this is extraordinary amounts of money. Yes, but it, it, it's dwarfed by how much we had to borrow in the first year of COVID. It was mm. 300 billion. We thought we were going to borrow 55 and we borrowed 300. Then the next year we borrowed another 100, 150. And this year we may borrow another 150. So so the, the figures may look big if you just think about billions. Um, but now, of course, everyone is talking about billions rather than millions. So we're talking about billionaires instead of millionaires. Uh, but as a percentage of the overall, it's not that large. Uh, what has happened, of course, is that the market's got a bit of indigestion because, first of all, you had the price freeze, uh, the electricity price freeze. Then you had the Bank of England saying they were going to start selling bonds in the markets, which apparently they're starting doing again this week. Um, Good luck with they that. Had to stop. Yeah, absolutely. It was there to stop uh, because the markets reacted negatively. I mean, the markets did get a little bit of indigestion with the extra 45 billion. So at the margin, you can impact things quite significantly, even if the figures aren't very large. But remember, they they are collecting a lot more by freezing the tax allowances. Yeah, you know considerably more. And, and well, again, they, that, that's another example. I mean, that that is an effect yeah, putting, putting tax up for people. Gone. Yeah, but that's it, another promise gone. It's a promise gone, but it's also low-income people, people who weren't perhaps even weren't paying tax at all, who all, all of a sudden find themselves in that bottom tax bracket. So they are it, notably worse off as a result of it. Exactly. And the percentage of people who are paying, who will be paying tax goes up quite significantly. And those who then move on to the higher tax bracket. Then, of course, you have inflation collects a lot of VAT mm. uh, in nominal terms. So this, are, this is money that, you know, we're still talking about nominal money here, about yeah. all these increases that or, or cuts in public spending, etc. Uh, so that's going to give them quite a lot of extra. But of course, they also have the costs of running a government, running public services, which are going up with inflation as well, so, put against it. So, so, we're, so let, let's just, let's in a way, slightly forget the 19, 2019 manifesto. So we have a, a blank sheet. We have a problem that, that Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak are sitting down. We've got a big hole, blank sheet of paper. How do we fill it? Is are tax rises the answer fundamentally to well, this? And before you answer that, I mean, uh, let me just make that point that, you know, that, mm. that was just made, that actually it, it's not that big compared to the size right. of the economy. So do, in you percentage to, do you even need tax well, that rises? Well, that is a question. How far do you just allow things to, you know, maybe moderate a little bit, but trying to fix the problem in one go is dangerous, isn't it? Well, I don't think they are going to try and fix the problem in one go. Quite a lot of those cuts are going to become effective later. Uh, probably if you're looking at the sort of five-year horizon, uh, by which time, of course, the government will have 
well, may have changed. Uh, and there are problems Very likely, that you, I think, if you look at the current poll. Yeah, and you can, you can change things, of course, at any point. This has been done repeatedly during COVID, for example. Um, and, uh, and now again, I mean, here we had a government that announced all sorts of tax cuts, which have now just gone. Uh, I mean, how can people possibly plan ahead? Uh, and you have to have some certainty that this particular government is going to survive, of course. So businesses are not going to invest. I mean, my real worry is, yes, of course, you can do all sorts of things. You can do something with income tax. Uh, so 1P will raise whatever, between 8 and 9 billion, possibly. Uh, you can uh, do all sorts of things which would um, please the public, such as abolish the non-dom status. You can get sort of 3 billion out of that, supposedly. Yeah, might be coming a bit uh, close to home for Rishi. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. This is well, why, she's supposedly why already, already changed that, hasn't she? Uh, so, yeah. But then you can do, you can cut, of course, day-to-day spending or announce you're going to do that on public services. That would raise you, if you do 15% cut, according to the Institute of Fiscal Studies, uh, that could raise from departments other, by the way, the National Health Service and the Ministry of Defence, which, of course, will get some more. Right. Uh, that would raise $35 billion. Um, you said You said announce as though they don't actually intend doing it. Well, let's just yes, announce it well, so it looks good on the spreadsheet. And then when it actually comes to doing it, well, we'd go, oh, we overspent so, that budget. But hey, uh, look at this election next week. <laughs> well, that's right. And uh, that, though, will satisfy the markets if you look like you have a plan to... Mm reduce the debt to GDP ratio over, you know, in, in the medium term. Now, uh, this idea of balancing balancing books, uh, which should have happened uh, apparently this year, mm. we should have been balancing the books now. Look where we are. I mean, why isn't anyone screaming saying, what have you done all this well, time? I suppose people say, well, look, COVID, look, you know, the Ukraine mm. war, circumstances beyond our control. But no one ever balances books, do they? I mean, it's always talked about, uh, but never achieved. And, you know, you, you look at some of the economies that are doing very well, like the United States, for example. How often in the last 100 or 200 years has the United States actually balanced its books? It's always running as a, a, at a but, deficit. Absolutely. Well, you've got Germany, of course, that yep. used to do so, has a rule to, to do that. Was Esther, they had, had, a, bit of, they had a bit of a leg up with the euro, of course, didn't <laughs> yeah. they? <laughs> yes, they, they did. They were hugely helped by weak euro. Um, and, um, and of course, the emergence of China as someone who wanted to buy all their capital goods. So mm. they did very well for a while. But now, of course, they've been hit by the dependence on Russia. So they, they are abandoning that for the time being, but not for long. So, uh, so that's one country that's doing it. But of course, it does need to spend huge amounts. And right now, Germany has announced this 200 billion a support package for businesses and individuals to help them with the energy bills. Um, so so uh, we are going in the opposite direction to everybody else. And that's the interesting thing. Yes, of course, the US is uh, doing something about inequality and raising, intending to raise under Biden, um, corporation tax and so on. But uh, the rest of Europe isn't really doing that, except for windfall taxes, where they are really, really spreading that pain. Well, that was one thing I wanted to mention in all this, because we were talking about taxes as a kind of burden on everyone. But what about the windfall tax? What about going after the big oil companies, for example? BP's enormous profits. They are actually asking for it, aren't they? We've got the CEOs of companies saying, well, we expect it's going to happen. It's Hmm. it's a a no-brainer. And these companies, if you don't tax them, they're just buying back shares. They don't know what to do with the money it's true and you've seen the the figures from shell and bp and so on but um of course you could raise a certain amount but you're not going to fill the necessarily the, the hole the, whatever yeah. it is the hole yeah. if there is indeed a hole uh, of that sort um so uh, but politically it would make sense because especially if you do all these other things in terms of cutbacks in services and also increasing taxes for individuals somehow or other, whichever way is done, um, that uh, is feeling like perhaps spreading the pain. 
Um, so um, there will be more. The only problem is, will they be paying it? And at present, of course, we have very substantial uh, super allowances that you mentioned that already, super deductions happening, which means that uh, hardly any tax will be paid by these companies. And uh, also, if you look back, hardly any tax has been paid by them over the last few mm. years because they've been closing or, or, or uh, decommissioning oil um, uh, fields in the North Sea, for example, and that meant that Yes, they pay the tax, but then they get a lot of it back even before the super allowance. And the super allowance that we have at present isn't going to uh, leave anything, really. So, but much. they could change the rules on that. They could could start moving in this direction. Politically, there would be the will to do that across the House. Maybe not necessary in some uh, Tory backbench circles, but there would be a will but to do But it's not the catch-all, I think, is uh, what we're hearing from Vicky, isn't it? There's, even, if, even if you were to do it, it's not going to fix the problem. But you, you said if, if the gap is, is a problem. So, I mean... And that's the fundamental question, isn't it? Because we are going the opposite direction to everybody else. And how much of that is because we got spooked by the markets? And, and why did we get spooked by the markets? Why was there such a reaction? Was it just because there were no numbers? Which, <laughs> which is pretty scary. Irrespective of whether it's a good plan or not, we'd like to see the numbers behind it. And the market just got scared because they thought, hang on, they're going rogue in the UK. That was the issue, wasn't it? It was. It was very much that. And just a day before that, with the Bank of England meeting taking place. And first of all, uh, as I mentioned earlier, they announced uh, that they were going to start quantitative tightening, mm. which is basically selling... You said that to 80... us before we started recording, actually. So uh, for those who want to get... For those <laughs> I who do apologise. Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, but they are, which is again seems like a bizarre thing to be doing right now, doesn't yes, it? Yes, but they were feeling reasonably comfortable with the electricity price freeze costing hundreds of billions, as we thought was going to be the case, uh, with some expectation that maybe there would be some tax cuts. Um, and they uh, announced, first of all, on the 22nd that they were going to go out now and start selling 80 billion per annum. There will be 60 billion possibly in this financial year. And they raised interest rates uh, because of this electricity price freeze by only 50 basis points because they thought inflation was going to come down. Because, of course, it does if mm. you're not going to be having this huge increase that everyone expected. Uh, because you put a price freeze there, then obviously you take off something like 4% of your inflation figures. So they were quite happy to do that. And the market seemed to be quite happy to do that. And it was, in fact, the mini budget without any data, as you rightly suggest, underneath it, uh, that that was the problem. No BR forecast. Um, and of course, markets suddenly remembered that, in fact, uh, almost on the first day that um, the previous chancellor became chancellor under Liz Truss, he fired his top uh, civil servant, uh, the permanent secretary of the treasury and we all thought and i remember writing a piece myself that from here on it's downhill in terms of the economy because there would be no proper cost benefit no proper analysis of what is being mm. recommended and and that was shown very clearly in that mini budget and i think that's what happened the markets got spooked um but that was a that. very momentary thing i mean in a sense with the whole prime ministership was a very momentary thing it seems strange to many people that the price has to be paid long after that uh, of of whatever lack of trust the markets now seem to well, have. Well, but bond yields are higher. Not just, I mean, they what they were at three and a half percent. Now they 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 went up to about four and a half percent a year ago. They were zero point nine percent, weren't they? But they're, they're, obviously, I mean, three and a half percent is not unusual if you look around the rest of the world, and that is because because uh, inflation is so much higher, and the expectation is central banks are going to keep on uh, lifting rates mm. to try and conquer that. So that's where we are. So I mean, that issue's gone away, but we're still left with the, the residual issue that inflation is a big big problem so the cost of borrowing will increase but do, do, when the government issues bonds here's a question do they always have to follow the market if if 10 years are 
at three and a half percent. Is that the cost of borrowing now? Three and a half percent, or could the government say, "Well, no, we're going to issue bonds. We're not going to pay three and a half percent. We're going to we're going to pay less." Would, does it always have to? Do we always have to be subservient to the bond market? Would people I guess, buy the, bonds in that condition? Or banks actually yeah. are the, the ones buying it, aren't they? To to exchange their reserves. Well, why not say, "Well, we're only going to give you two and a half percent." Oh, well, you can, but they're not going to buy it because, uh, I mean, they could acquire, if you like, a bond from somewhere else whose yield is that high. Right. But out uh, of their so, reserves, could they do that? So they can move. I mean, they can they can uh, move down the, the, the yield curve, if you like, and mm. buy for different maturities. Uh, well, I mean, the it, worrying thing earlier was that the 30-year yield had gone up to over 5%. And yeah. that of course, determines quite significantly what happens to mortgage rates. But also, um, there were serious problems about the way in which uh, uh, pension funds were funding their own purchases of bonds mm. uh, to uh, be able to secure themselves against whatever they had to pay in terms of pensions over a period of time. So long-term um, investments were really what they were after. Uh, so the Bank of England had to intervene, forget about quantitative tightening and go back into doing quantitative easing. But you're quite right. That seems to be gone for the moment and the markets are giving this government the benefit of the doubt. And uh, indeed, rates have come back, the 10-year yields that you were mentioning, uh, to under 4%. And they're not very dissimilar to elsewhere, although yeah. they're still higher, of course, than Germany's, uh, which were negative until a year ago, um, and uh, slightly below Italy, for example, and Greece. I mean, for a while, we were compared to those two countries where, of yes, course, the debt that, to that ratio is considerably great. Yeah. Well, uh, y- yes, although Greece, of course, is... Uh, which, about which I know a certain amount. Of course, yeah. um, is now growing. Be careful like, who you're insulting here. I'm not insulting. <laughs> I'm simply comparing. <laughs> well, uh, I think it's growing at something like five percent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the real issue about the UK and going back to the whole, how big is this whole? Uh, is that with everything else happening and with this extra tax uh, increases that may happen? I mean, they may, of course, decide that the hole isn't that big and therefore they don't need to raise it that much. I mean, it's just let's, let's wait and be surprised. But, but you're saying effectively, you, you're, you're taking what will seem to many people an optimistic view. The hole is not that big. The economy can grow. The uh, interest rates may no, not be no, that no, big a problem. No, 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 no. In fact, I was going to say I am optimistic about the hole as it stands now. And what I fear is that with everything that's been suggested now and with the increases in interest rates and with the fact that the Bank of England is now starting to sell their bonds and therefore will keep yields reasonably high um, uh, because it's basically, you know, selling bonds, uh, their prices come down if you're selling them and the yields yep, go up. Got, yep. um, we're going, to see growth, we're going to see growth not happening. We, we will sink faster into recession. And when that happens, then you start collecting less. Uh, and, uh, and that's a real issue. Then you get into a sort of vicious uh, sort of cycle, which is a, a problem. And that's what happened to Greece. So yes. growth does need to happen. In that sense, Trustonomics was right. Well, yes, yeah, but the question yeah. is, how do you get it? Yeah, I yeah, and some numbers to how you're going to achieve it would have been useful, wouldn't it? But the, the, the question is about, well, two things about, you know, the, the way the government's reacting and the way the, the central bank is reacting. So why the rush in both cases? So with the Bank of England, why the rush to, to try and uh, get, get all those bonds off, the, off their balance sheet when it is just going to, as you say, push the yield up because there's going to be so many more bonds out there on the secondary market which people are buying. So bigger supply means the prices presumably are going to be lower, which is what pushes the yields up. So why that? Actually, do that first and then I'll ask you a question about the government. Why would the Bank of England be doing that right now? What's the urgency? Given that, you know, a few weeks ago they were going the opposite direction. They have been attacked for continuing 
QE quantitative easing for longer than perhaps was necessary and therefore uh, fueling inflation. So their idea is, of course, but we're going to reduce inflation now by but that's easy, um, that's making the argue. economy. Yeah, and I mean, exactly. you know, look at the places where they're not doing that and they've still got inflation. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're not doing it in Europe, where the European Central Bank has said that they're not going to start um, selling bonds until their interest rates are normalized until they know that they're in a position where the situation is stable. Mm. Uh, Our situation is still quite unstable. So uh, in my view, it makes very little sense to be doing it, but uh, you know, they might, they might um, get away with it because the markets will give them the benefit of the doubt. Again, they'll think that yes, perhaps we do want to keep those bonds uh, and not perhaps uh, get huge uh, interest rates to compensate for it because um, the, the countries is solvent and, uh, yeah, and he has a plan for getting things. Uh, and it's one of the few levers the they future. have. I mean, otherwise it's only interest rates, isn't it? I mean, what else can they do if they're trying to tackle inflation, which they are legally required to do? Well, they were, yes, but you know, central banks everywhere are not doing a great job of tackling inflation. So you've got to. Uh, no, but people compare have, them with the Fed, don't they? And then and then there's well, issues also, down that way. Also, not controlling <laughs> inflation. So there's a question about how monetary policy is working. That's a question for another day. My other my other question though was about whether governments are moving or that our government is is going to try and move too quickly on this because of this fear that as those uh, interest rates rise, the cost of borrowing goes up. But so what uh, is the question? If, if, if the cost of borrowing goes up, then they have to pay back more. Uh, but then, you know, when, you know, when those uh, in the coupon payments for those uh, for those um, bonds. But does that really matter? Because, you know, they just borrow the money to do that. And over time, particularly if inflation is high, a lot of that is just going to inflate away, isn't it? So uh, it's too much made out of that, uh, out of the cost of borrowing. Perhaps, but of course, a certain percentage of uh, the the sales of, of the bonds that they sell um, are index linked, so that costs them a little bit more. Mm. So we have to to watch if inflation is high, then the cost goes up quite significantly. So that's one of the concerns. The other one, of course, is indeed that you go out and borrow uh, at higher rates, and those rates are sort of stuck there because you still have to issue a fixed rate uh, bond yeah. normally, uh, which means that you're still going to have to pay a certain amount nominally. Mm. Or every year or however frequently you pay them for those who hold those bonds. Um, so that cost is is greater if the yields in the market are greater. So mm. keeping them low is, is important. And yet the Bank of England is going out and, and, and selling bonds, which means that they might keep the yields higher than would otherwise be the case. Yeah. Now, they, they may think that that's good for the for slowing down the economy, possibly, uh, but it is a double whammy, really, because you've got uh, also the short-term rates going up and will be going up again. Uh, for a while, and and that really threatens the growth of the economy. And yeah, because, because, because the, this, the interest rates we pay are are affected yes, are, are there, of course, and that in itself is going to damage the economy. So the Bank of England is there thinking that if they do that, if they if they start to bring down their balance sheet, that's going to somehow miraculously going to help inflation. What yeah. about, I mean, the problem we had with uh, the Quartang Trust Partnership was that they were going against the Bank of England, weren't they? I mean, at the time when the Bank of England was trying to say, hey, look, we need, we need to slow the economy down. We need to get demand and supply a bit more uh, in unison. Uh, there you had somebody talking about short-term growth, which we all want long, long-term growth, but perhaps not now is not the time to do it. But should, the, should this budget be trying to tackle inflation as well? Or is that, or are they just going to ignore that and say no? That is the job of the Bank of England. Nothing to do with the government. Well, what they could, of course, have done uh, instead, and I think Liz Truss could have done that, uh, possibly, <clears throat> is uh, a lower VAT rate. It's something, of course, which businesses are asking for in particular sectors. Uh, can we go back again, please, to the five percent VAT mm. for the hospitality sector? 
because that uh, that allows that sector to survive. And there are loads of sectors in difficulty right now, and they will be increasingly in difficulty, not just because they can't get the staff, but also because obviously people will be cutting back yeah. quite significantly. Bring, brings prices uh, down, so inflation's lower. Yeah, I'll simple, isn't it? Yeah, VAT cut, um, it does cost, but uh, well, the calculations were maybe 18 billion a year. Um, but if you look at everything else, uh, you get quite a lot of it back because you start encouraging people to spend. I'm not suggesting we should go back to the um, uh, eat out to help out period, which yes. uh, people are now thinking perhaps. This winter might the, spread the a bit new, of flu and more COVID. The new, <laughs> the new COVID variants we saw in the, sp- in the autumn after that summer splurge of money. Um, but um, yes, you could, you could do that with VAT because that brings inflation down very significantly. Otherwise, the only way you would do it is by really slowing down the economy. Yeah. And if you slow down the economy, then you collect less. Well, let, so, so there is, as I said, there's a problem mm, with that. Let, 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 I mean, let's try and draw some of this together. I mean, okay, now, supposing you are in, num- you yourself are in number 11. I mean, God knows we've had, what, four chancellors in the last three months. So it'll come to your There'll turn be a couple, a couple more soon. before Christmas, so yeah. you could be one of them. You could be one yeah. of them. Yeah, if yes, you are yes, sitting I'm, in I'm, there, I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring. Yes, correct. <laughs> Mickey, if you are sitting in there and you are looking at the figures, what would be top of your agenda? Well, how would you begin to think about this budget? What are the kind of things you think would actually help? Windfall taxes, most definitely, but not hugely in terms of what they collect. Uh, there are all sorts of other areas that it's not just on energy, but also banks, you know, other areas that have done reasonably well. And again, you know, people who are listening from the financial sector, they know there are extra taxes that they pay already. And the question is, does, does that continue or not? Uh, I would definitely look at VAT and see whether there is some support that can be given to various uh, companies. But then I would also look quite carefully uh, at, at some of the capital spending that is done, um, whether it is justified. I mean, economists will tell you that HS2 uh, hasn't proven its its worth, if you like. So you could have a look at that. Some of this capital investment do a little bit more uh, proper cost benefit on on a number of other possibilities that exist, particularly in the north. Uh, you could go down, uh, you know, some of the the roots of looking at capital gains tax uh, again and and scrapping some other tax reliefs that might exist, possibly. Uh, but adding it all up wouldn't get you huge amount. But so it sounds a bit like tinkering at the edges, really. Tinkering at the edges. I would I would go much more, I'm sorry to have to say, uh, to tinkering at the edges. But one thing that would worry me, and the one area where, uh, yes, of course, the, the NI... Um, reversal, if you like, was welcomed by employers, is that we do need one area where there is some hypothecated money for the National Health Service and social care. Mm. And and that's a difficult one to find uh, by just looking at what, you know, you know, whatever spending cuts there may be to compensate for it or uh, any other tax increases. And we do need to find a way of, of doing it. And that's where uh, I, I was hoping, I would hope, that there would be a lot of thinking going on to ensure that we end up with a sensible tax rise, which would, uh, if you like, guarantee that type of money. Because we need something like 15 to 18 billion a year to be raised. And that's gone out of the window. That's the one important thing. Even though we were all concerned about the impact on the economy, it strangely made sense. Uh, that one should do it that way. Um, but of course, the businesses are screaming about business rates, for example. They're screaming about energy support. 
um, as well for them to continue. So all these things will have to somehow be funded. But mm. all these areas that we're looking at now are not really going to do anything very much about the sort of long-term situation uh, of, of public finances. And what we may find is that we have to come back for more. So I would change the rhetoric as much as possible. Do what we said earlier, uh, you know, use some of those spending cuts uh, to satisfy the markets, but a lot later, review them. Keep fingers crossed that gas prices stay low. I mean, they've come down very significantly. And uh, and think again about how you really can stimulate growth by looking at what businesses in particular need. But what about a longer-term Remember- thing? What about getting more money into something like education with an eye to longer-term growth, which is what is, is the underlying thing we're all talking about for, for what could make of the course. economy work? Are you talking, you're talking that- about longer-term? You're talking about after the next election. <gasps> oh, we don't need to worry about that. Well, you? yeah. No, Vicky, for the sake of this, he's an unelected, therefore uh, not to be removed, Chancellor. But but isn't isn't education something we should be thinking about? But of course, I mean, this is the other issue. We're talking about the 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 gap, if you like, that might be there. No doubt about it that we need longer term a longer term strategy. There is no real industrial strategy right now. There's no real plan for growth. Uh, and the areas that we depend on are indeed, you know, encouraging productivity. We're not going to see that, though, are we? This is. We're not, be- I mean, we need more money in education. There is absolutely no doubt about that. So, so uh, when people are talking about just reinventing the NHS and the Ministry of Defence, you begin to really, really worry about what it means for education and productivity the, in the long term. Because outside that ring fence, exactly. Well, t- one final question for you then. When we were going into um, the, the COVID situation and people were going, where does all that money come from? A whole load of uh, MMTers, the modern monetary theorists, all uh, stuck their head above the parapet and said, well, you know, you, the government can create money. And, you know, there's some, I mean, there's some weaknesses in the whole MMT argument. But the this idea of the sectoral balance, I think, is an interesting one between the public and private sector that you know if the government increases its deficit that money finds itself in the private sector if you pull the money out if you start talking about uh, moving towards reducing that deficit then you're pulling money out of the private sector so when the economy is struggling even if you're not a supportive mmt i mean that theory makes sense doesn't it and if the economy is struggling that is precisely when the government should be spending when the private sector isn't spending. And if the deficit is, say, 45 billion a quarter, that's about 8% of the total economy. And maybe that's just what we need right now. I mean, it, maybe it's not such a scandalous figure. I agree with you. I mean, what you really need to make sure is that uh, there is someone prepared to buy the extra debt. And the truth is that, of course, debt rose very, very significantly during COVID, generally, not just for government, but also private sector debt. And quite a lot of firms right now are burdened with huge amount of debt, which, mm. of course, with higher interest rates, going to be you know, a disaster for them. So, yes, I think right now one should be supporting. I mean, we are in a crisis situation. We have a war. Um, so this is really why when you asked me what would I do, um, I only gave, came up with quite small areas because I think anything really significant would mm. Uh, hurt a lot. We haven't even touched on climate change and what the requirements are there in terms of spending, uh, which are going to be very, very significant. We haven't spoken about you know, what happens in railways, which, of course, are, are cracking right now. Uh, there must be a better term that I could use in terms of you know going down the, the track. Um, but anyway, they, they're, they're in trouble. Uh, we're talking about the energy sector itself. I'm not talking now about uh, the oil companies and and generators and uh, but I'm talking more about the supply side of it um, and we we're seeing loads and loads of areas where government intervention is going to be significant whether we need probably to spend more money I mean after all mm. they're practically 
nationalize the rail industry. I mean, look at also in the buses during COVID and beyond with the big losses. Look at the energy supply sector. Mm where the government is participating very significantly in subsidizing what's going on right now. And I don't just mean to consumers, but also the companies that are that are there. So big uh, so government, we're talking about is more big government, isn't big it? big government, I'm at, afraid. At time, right right now. Light touch taxation is what for, you're... For, 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 for a, light touch change in taxation. For a party, yes. that, the party uh, does, doesn't like big government. I mean, it, you know, its whole reason for being is the opposite of that. It, it, it is true, but also, of course, you know, the inequality that has developed during this entire COVID period and beyond, because mm. anyone with assets did well during very low interest rates. Now, of course, a number of them are suffering, but those on incomes did pretty badly. And now, of course, it's a whole benefit side. If you reduce so how do you, how do you benefits... Fix that? Do, you know, do, do we, yeah, if you reduce benefits, you've got a real problem. So is there a, a redistribution exercise needed in tax then? Which, again, is not going to be popular with Tory voters, but is that what needs to happen? Well, yes, but of course, you know, what uh, probably Richard Sunak and others are looking at is that if you index working age benefits uh, to growth in earnings rather than prices, you you can, uh, you know, cut spending by 13 billion a year. I mean, that's mm. that's quite a lot. But of course, who feels that? I mean, people at the lower end of who the Who then don't scale. put money into the economy at the bottom. Those are the ones who Back are actually spending cycle. money in the economy rather than the people spending yeah. it on overseas holidays or, or putting it into, uh, into the bond yeah. market or yeah. whatever it's financial a- instrument they can tuck it away in. Exactly. And I think just to remind you, since we did touch on Greece as well, that these types of policies in Greece meant that GDP fell by 25%, in fact, yeah. slightly more than that. Um, mm. So very, very substantial drop. And yeah. here we are in an environment where the forecasts for Europe, where we still you know, sell quite a bit. So I mean, they're still a major trading partner, even though we sort of uh, went a little bit the other way with Brexit and have gone a bit the other way. Um, we have countries like Germany and Italy expected to be in recession next year. And that's not going to be very good for us in terms of, you know, hmm. exporting anything to them. Uh, so uh, that's another reason why we're not going to see that growth. So if it all happens through cuts, cuts, cuts in terms of plugging that hole, whatever that hole is, uh, then I can only forecast a very, very slow growth in the UK economy beyond, yeah. uh, you know, from here on and, and possibly quite a substantial recession. Let's hope the light touch thought then perhaps percolates through. Thanks so much for being with us, Vicky. Yeah, let's uh, the light touch rather than something that's going to destroy the economy. Thanks, Vicky. Thank you very much. Now, look, next week, this is going to be an interesting one uh, yeah. because we've got that massive uh, Houses of Parliament. What do they call it in uh, Northern Ireland? Sorry. Stormont. Stormont, Which isn't Sorry. Houses of Parliament. It's, it's their yeah. assembly. Well, yeah. except it isn't because it isn't working. But what a magnificent building to lie yes. empty. Okay. How, do, how do they feel that? That is rather a large building it's for a, a regional building. assembly. Yes, yes, and they've got quite a few people in there. Or not, as the case may be. Well, in the normal course of events, because that's the point. We are now reaching a stage, you know, God knows, it seems a very long time ago that we got to the Good Friday Accord, and for a little while, Northern Ireland was not in the headlines. Mm. Um, And it is beginning to come back, not least because of feeling that one of the most fundamental things about the Good Friday Accord, the the working together, the fact that the majority does not dictate everything, uh, seems to be falling apart in Northern Ireland, and it's in staff. And because part, of Brexit, yeah, well, because of the, the loose end, one of those many loose ends of Brexit, which was never tied up and never can be tied up. I don't know if there's well, an answer. Ha, you ha, either have a border. Well, you, if you are outside a customs union, you have a, have to have a border. That's yeah. axiomatic. Question is, where do you put it? Do you put it in the in the Irish Sea, or do you put it on the on the land of Ireland? And whatever way you do it, one side or the other is not going to be that happy. That is where this has fundamentally broken down. And this is this is more than a technicality. I mean, okay, Northern Ireland is a small part of the UK. Mm. There's a small 
small number of people, but the fact is that when I was growing up, it was never out of the headlines for the most ghastly reasons. Everyone is very glad that that time is over. Do you but think we could, we could encourage Ireland to join Great Britain? That would get over the problem, wouldn't it? I, you know, uh, well, that might be easier. That might be, actually, out of all of it, it might be the easiest solution. Or, here's a thought, we rejoin the EU. Well, but, you know, what two, about... Two interesting and highly uncontroversial <laughs> select, suggestions there from Phil Dobby. Oh, my God, where do we start? But, but no, this could be, this could be a major problem. They're going back to the polls. No one thinks that voting's going to change anything mm. in there uh, because the, the positions are very clearly defined. But the government doesn't seem to have an answer. Mm. They're talking to the EU. They don't seem to have an answer. We, this we is were a told that there would be an electronic answer, weren't we? Do you remember? You know, Boris we was saying earlier yes. on that we can use modern electronics. I, yes. I think he, everyone, if everyone just in Northern Ireland wears an ankle bracelet, yeah. uh, there's another controversial opinion, uh, then the, the problem would <laughs> be solved. Dobby trampling on very <laughs> fragile China. I think what we better say is we will be doing this subject, we will be getting into it, and we will be trying to get a sense of what possible outcome could happen. Without us returning to those bad old days. Yeah, we'll look at all of that next week on The Y Curve. The Y Curve.